welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. As summer and New Mexico's monsoon season comes to an end, there's a question that our community faces almost every year. Will our river run dry? The answer to that question and why our river water is so important to our daily lives here, that was a key part of a recent investigation that Gabby, you covered for KRQE Investigates and folks who haven't seen that investigation yet, check out the link in our show notes to that story where you can watch the video, read the text there. But just for a quick summary in that story, you explained Gabby, where much of our water comes from, also who can recycle water in Albuquerque, and how some of our existing infrastructure is laid out. Yeah, I talked to two Albuquerque area public agencies whose job it is to pay close attention to how our water is managed and distributed. But for today's conversation, we're bringing back a returning guest and water expert in many ways, Jason Kasuga. He's the CEO and chief engineer for the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District. Jason, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. Our water conversations are important, so I always appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, and we've had you on before sort of explaining the role and the importance of the MRGCD in our community. But if you can first just give us a high level explanation for our listeners about what is it that the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District does? Yeah, so the MRGCD, uh, it's a long name, so we short it to MRGCD. Uh, we are a special district within the state of New Mexico that, and we were formed under what we call the New Mexico Conservancy Act. and Our mission that we were given was river flood control, groundwater management, and delivering irrigation water. It's an interesting topic right now because we're actually getting ready to settle or to celebrate the centennial for the first Conservancy Act. And our 100-year anniversary actually comes in 2025. So we have been in the Valley doing this for a long time now. So in Gabby's story, we learned about how much of Albuquerque's water and even the water for other nearby communities comes from our rivers. Some of us have a basic understanding of this, but one thing we don't always think about or maybe fully understand is just how existing infrastructure helps get that water to people in all the different areas, right? If you can explain, Jason, some of the history of the Middle Rio Grande and how far back do we go in terms of years to explain how things are laid out today? You mentioned 100 years is coming up. Yeah, so the MRG City will be 100 years old in 2025. And the, a lot of the infrastructure that we have enjoyed and that we continue to enjoy, that infrastructure was a part uh, and built as part of MRGCD's formation. The need to protect the communities from the river, to be able to lower groundwater table so that we could have a thriving community along the river and then to deliver water. And so the infrastructure that we're talking about is dams and levees and then irrigation infrastructure. And um, in Albuquerque, most likely if it's close to the river and it's an earthen ditch, so, so, no, so the primary, it's not made up of tons and tons of concrete, it's an MRGCD facility. And that's how we deliver irrigation water. And so these are the, the backbone of what MRGCD uses to do the three missions that we have. But some of those dams and these levees are also there that allow municipalities to store water for drinking water. It's not just what I do, but this infrastructure serves multiple purposes. And while El Vado is one of our older facilities, as you progress through the history of the Middle Valley, more dams come into 
come into play like Cochiti and Abiquiu and Heron. And so this river used to be a, a highly variable river. That was its natural state, variable. And now because of the missions that were given and the agencies that have come in, we live on a very managed river system. And the ecosystem that we love comes because of that management. The economy that we have along here and the agriculture comes because of that management. And the lifestyle that we enjoy along the Rio Grande comes from that management. One of the things that struck me in our last conversation was you're pointing out, you know, that if our forefathers hadn't thought of and planned for the infrastructure that we do have now, much of Albuquerque's economy wouldn't exist the way it does now, meaning our downtown area, as we know, it could be prone to flooding from the river, right? Can you explain more about that? Yeah, I think it's the, we shouldn't, we should look back at history and I think acknowledge big decisions that affected us and still affect us today. And the first passage of the Conservancy Act, while it was not the current legislation that MRGCD was formed under, it was the stepping stone to get here. And so that, that legislation that was passed in, in 2023, that came about because of these major issues on the river, flooding, rising groundwater, preventing agriculture from happening. We have these historical photos from the early 1900s that show parts of downtown Albuquerque that were almost like swampy and like a wetland. And that's really hard for us to get our mind around and think of the middle Valley. And right now with what we face as, Hey, this was standing water at times and swampy. And so I think that's a, a really important thing that we acknowledge that there were, there were decision makers at the time who needed to go so far as pass legislation to bring about an agency like MRGCD and just keep moving us forward. And then there was federal legislation that was passed in the 50s that brought in the Army Corps of Engineers and the Bureau of Reclamation because of what we were facing on the river. And so our forefathers, um, the people that came before us and thought about what the community and the vision for the community, community on the Rio Grande and what we needed to, to build that community shouldn't be understated. And I know there's a side out there because the river was changed forever. Destiny's changed. And I think it's it's really important to acknowledge that there people groups along the river that cha- that had their destinies changed, if you will, tribal communities that lived along this river where this infrastructure changed. And I think we have to acknowledge that and acknowledge the, the change that came for them. And the, but at the same time, the, I think most of the communities celebrate living along this river and enjoy it. Uh, many of these communities may not be able to be here in the current state that we have them and thriving like they are without the infrastructure that we have. So with that, who relies on this infrastructure? You mentioned tribal communities, but Albuquerque is obviously the the largest one here. Yeah, so absolutely. So municipalities like Santa Fe, Albuquerque, even if you go so far down to go further south outside of the area that I work in, but Las Cruces, um, any community along the river, Valencia County, uh, the communities in Valencia County. So all of these communities along the the, uh, municipal entities rely along the river, rely on the river. Farmers, obviously, within the Middle Valley, those are customers of mine, um, constituents. And so part of what we do is deliver ag water to them for growing. Tribal communities, so the six Middle Rio Grande Pueblos are um, the historical users of the water on this section of the river. They have the, the, the senior water right, if you will. And all six of those Middle Rio Grande Pueblos uh, need that water. And their communities uh, would not be thriving without the water that is, that is rightfully theirs. And then, honestly, the ecosystem. And the ecosystem that has, born, has come out of 
infrastructure that we have on this river has been maintained because the infrastructure exists. There is a belief that what we see in the Bosque today has existed. And that's what the Rio Grande was always like. And I can bring historical images and photos, but the Rio Grande that was here before this infrastructure was constructed is not the Rio Grande that you know and that the communities now see a, a thriving bosque with trees. Think of a river that is four, maybe three or four times wider than it was, or than it is, right? That's how wide it was back then. Think of it running a whole lot more shallow. Think of it not a ton of trees. And think of it being very flashy in the spring. If we had a great snowmelt runoff with no dams, that water came crashing down. And then when the spring runoff ended, if there was no monsoon season, you had sections of this river, 100 plus miles that would dry annually, depending on hydrology. And so the reliance that we have on the infrastructure is, yes, the landscape changed. Yes, some of what was natural about the Rio Grande changed, but it also, the Rio, the Rio Grande became more reliable too, because we were able to store water, if you will, for dry periods and release it and create a consistency year to year that wasn't there historically. And so I think that's important to, to talk about because there are a lot of conversations going on about, we want a natural Rio Grande. And I've even seen articles written about the negativity about infrastructure. And at the same time, I think we need to take measured looks, especially people who come into New Mexico and come to the Rio Grande with no history of the Southwest and no understanding of what a Southwest river looked like. And then no understanding of how the communities grew up on this, on a Southwest river. This infrastructure was, became life. And then it also built an ecosystem that we love. And so I think the, every community, including the river along the, along the Rio Grande benefit from the infrastructure that's there. I feel like what a lot of you're describing too does come down to engineering and math in some ways. In researching for my recent story, I learned how much, you know, far ahead planning and building things like this take years and a lot of money. Just one minor example, there are plans to build out reuse pipelines on the west side of Albuquerque. And I spoke with the Water Utility Authority who told me, you know, they're still in the planning stages for that infrastructure build out. But something like that, you know, can cost upwards of $120 million, not to mention, you know, the disturbance in, in construction and planning out for those types of big projects. The timeline for construction was a, a government timeline, if I've ever heard one. Uh, I was told it'll happen hopefully within the next decade. But because of that long-term planning and, you know, the cost of supplies and construction, is some of our existing infrastructure that you manage, you know, needing updates or at risk of failing, you think? That's a great question. And uh, infrastructure is something I talk about regularly right now because, again, uh, I'm managing a system that parts of it are approaching 100 years old. And the, for instance, I think the last time I was here, or at least for sure on, on some stories that I've run, I think Corrales Siphon is, is known to everybody. That's, that is an old siphon that was, is a wood siphon that was built under the Rio Grande and it's failed. And we're now looking at a $9 million project. And thankfully we were able to get some funding through the water trust board to be able to rebuild that, to reconstruct that facility. And that's just a drop in the bucket. We have New Mexico six this year where it's a drain crossing where the DOT's road comes over one of our drains. And that was a huge failure that's been being worked on by the DOT, but it's still um, infrastructure that has been in for, I think 50 plus years. And then we have Elvado dam 
that is managed by the Bureau of Reclamation, that's probably approaching a $200 million project to rehabilitate that. We're probably not going to have it fully back in operation until 2028. And that's where we store our water. And so infrastructure is really important. It takes planning. It takes thought. It takes lots of math at times, as you said. And then one of the things, too, that is probably different than it was back when this, when a lot of this infrastructure was created. But again, we have an ecosystem that we love. And we want to we want to make these improvements in a way that that damages the ecosystem the least amount possible. But at the end of the day, the upgrades need to be done because the ecosystem relies on it too. And so, and that's probably one of the the things that have now come into the equation more than they ever did because obviously we didn't have things like NEPA, like the National Environmental Protection Act, and those kinds of things back when the district was forming, and we didn't have endangered species back then. But those are kinds of things that are important in the planning process now, and they take time and money to, to figure out and, and then get things permitted. How hard is it to be proactive in this space? Because it feels like when we hear about big projects, you know, we, we often hear about the failure of something, right? And then you have to be reactive and you got to address it right away. How hard do you feel is it to just be proactive? Because you know, to your point, these things cost a lot of money. They take a lot of time. And, you know, I think we can probably say as a society, whether it's New Mexico or many other states, sometimes it is just really hard to bite the bullet and spend all that money for something that you won't see the results for for years. Yeah. So being proactive is a must. Um, I think that is historically MRT City probably hasn't done the best job of being proactive, but that's who we are now. And that's what we're trying to build and to be proactive. And it's a balance right now because a lot of it is planning for the future, but then also, hey, that broke this year and I have to get that fixed. And as soon as I can, because the Corral Siphon, for for example, will be down four years. We have a temporary pumping operation, but it has absolutely had an impact on the village of Corrales, even though we're getting water to them during certain times of the year. Because right now... I can deliver water to the rest of Albuquerque with the amount, with the little amount that we have, but the pumps from the river, the river's too low to operate the pumps. So while there are people in Albuquerque that can get water right now, the village of Corrales can't get ag water um, through our system because the river is too low to operate pumps. And so there is the reality of thinking ahead and we, we at MRGC have to be able to do that. But unfortunately, we have to also be able to react. Things are going to keep breaking because it's an old system. But luckily there are some resources and there are, there's a lot more people beginning to understand the, the reality of what our water situation is. And there's, there, right now there's funding available both internally to the MRGCD, but also federal and state. So, but I've never known being the CEO of the MRGCD without having a piece of crit- critical infrastructure break on me. So, yeah. Is it harder though to get people to pay attention to those proactive problems? Because again, talking about infrastructure, you don't see the word infrastructure in headlines a whole lot because it's like beneath the surface is things that we don't always think about in our daily lives. Is it harder to get people to pay attention and get funding for big projects like that? At times, I think the, in the, uh, and I really appreciate this opportunity, but you guys also know a lot of times when a news story wants to come talk to me, it's because something fantastically broke. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, fair point. Um, And so, and, but you're right outside of that, a headlines of, Hey, building a siphon that will be underground and you'll never see it. Yeah. Is not something that I think people pay attention to. You're more likely to pay attention to, Hey, a new interchange on I-25 versus something that's going to go underground. And you don't really understand how it affects your daily life. Water just comes out 
an end of it. And you just don't think about it because it doesn't, you don't see it. It, it, There really is with an infrastructure issue and just infrastructure in general, out of sight, out of mind until it breaks. And then the question is, well, why didn't you fix it? And why wasn't it being worked on? And that's where a lot of times you're beginning to explain to people, well, I've actually had a project designed and I've been seeking funding for the last eight years. I just haven't been able to hit on the jackpot of getting some of that federal funding and getting some of that state funding. So that happens to municipalities and water managers in the background all the time. A lot of time there's a lot, there's a lots of planning that goes on, but inevitably it gets more energy when the piece of infrastructure that you've been planning to fix breaks. And that may also accelerate the funding that you were trying to grab too. Mm. I mean, yeah. Think about how many stories we've seen just uh, in a different realm of infrastructure about bridge collapses. And now there, there's the, the story about how quickly it all came together to fix it. it it's a lot of the emergency response. And you think about wooden pipelines underground. That's, yeah. I don't know. You never, <laughs> you never would have thought. Yeah. But it worked for a long time. So kudos to those yeah. who made it. So. Yeah, it's really hard to look back and go, Hey, was that a good idea when it, it lasted close to a hundred years? Yeah. Wow. Pretty amazing. You know, one thing that's been central to managing water distribution is the fact that not all of the water that goes into our river technically belongs to New Mexico. So how are we meeting the obligations so far under something we know as the Colorado River Compact? Yeah, so in the Middle Valley, a ton of our water does not come from the Colorado River side. So I'm going to speak very briefly on the Colorado River, and then I'm going to kick over to the Rio Grande Compact. So In the Middle Valley, we enjoy a project called the San Juan Chama Project. And so this is a, this was a federally authorized project through the Bureau of Reclamation where San Juan Chama contractors like MRGCD and ABCWA, Santa Fe and others, there's some tribal entities that have access to some of this water. We cost shared on the construction of improvements that allowed us to benefit from a portion of New Mexico's Colorado water and then move it into the Middle Valley. Through, through a series of pipelines. What I think is different about that project and the Rio Grande in general is that we've been facing these drought conditions for a long time now. It's nothing new to us. And what's really good about the San Juan Chama project is that water is given to us annually based on annual hydrology. So while we have, for instance, MRGCD has a right to 20,900 acre feet, we don't get 20,900 acre feet annually we get the apportionate share of the hydrology that comes. So we're shorted based on hydrology, which I think is a fabulous way of doing things. Hey, let's not, let's not have a requirement to over-deliver, but then the system's not creating it. Our delivery annually comes from that. So I think related to our San Juan Chama water, my belief is that it was designed in a way that honors the, the, the requirements to the Colorado River. Now, um, that's MRGC's perspective. I know the state of New Mexico and maybe folks on the Colorado River would have their own perspectives on that, but that's mine as a, as the CEO of the MRGCD and as MRGCD as a, as a San Juan Chama contractor. On the Rio Grande Compact side, I don't think it's any secret New Mexico is in debt to the compact. Uh, we ended 2022 about 96,000 acre feet in debt. It is, it's good for folks to understand that when I say, a lot of people will say, well, that's Texas as well. Well, that's not actually true. And I know it frustrates some of my own constituents when I talk about this, but what are the communities directly downstream of Elephant Butte? Well, there's Hatch, there's Las Cruces, right? There is, there are New Mexicans there that the water that the Middle Valley and that New Mexico sends to Elephant Butte, the first people that get a drink of that water is New Mexicans. So 
I always talk about New Mexico being in debt to the compact because there are New Mexico communities on the downstream side of the compact that get water before it makes it to Texas. And so we have challenges there. There are some significant issues on the southern portion of the river leading up to Elephant Butte that make it a challenge to deliver water there. And we have some really great federal partners that are working with us now on that. But it is, it's not an easy fix. It's not going to be something, as you guys said, that will be fixed overnight. But those delivery issues coupled, obviously, with Elvato make our current hydrologic situation very difficult. Last year around this time, there was reporting about the intensifying pressures facing rivers in Colorado and here in New Mexico and how water gets distributed, how much we have. Can you give us an idea of where we stand now? You know, how finite is our water supply looking for future growth, both economically and for future generations? So I'll start with the positive side. There is great investment going on on a critical piece of infrastructure that is so important to the future of water along the Rio Grande in the Middle Valley, and that's Elvado. I think I've said it a couple of times right now, but Elvado is so important to our future and to the flexibility that we can create along the river, especially during dry times of the year. Obviously, storage in Elvado comes with one. We need the, we need the facility sound and safe, and the federal government's working on that, and MRGCD is paying our share of that work. And then the second side of that is we, we need to be in compact compliance to be able to use Elvato. That's the positive side. There is forethought and there has been advanced planning that that infrastructure needs to be rehabilitated so it's good for the next hundred years. So the not so great side is it's, it's going to be a little bit before we get that back. And what we're experiencing right now along the Rio Grande through Albuquerque, it should not go unnoticed that Elvato's not been available and Albuquerque has dried, dried last year and we are still run up to the potential of drying. It hasn't happened yet. We had, the river hasn't broke through Albuquerque, but we're not completely out of the woods yet. It could still happen. That should not go unnoticed that you have this critical piece of infrastructure down and Albuquerque hadn't dried in 40 years. And then this infrastructure starts getting re rehabilitated. We don't have access. It dried last year and has the potential. And so we, we have a rough ride. I think we, we are completely at the mercy, I think, of a hydrology and mother nature, if you will, right now. We have the good thing is, is we have a little bit of supplemental water. This year, MRGCD got a full allocation of San Juan Chama water. That water started being used in July. So imagine July this year without 20,900 acre feet of San Juan Chama water. The river would not have been what it was and what we enjoyed through July into August before we started running out of the San Juan Chama water. And so, but that water is not guaranteed. Again, that delivery is based on hydrology annually. And so one thing that New Mexico and New Mexicans have always done, I think the system that we have on the Rio Grande is great. We built the, our system to be based on the hydrology we get annually. And then we built infrastructure to support how we supplement the river. And so I think there, that's, that should be something positive. We, we are not so far over allocated where I think Colorado River is. They have lived off of very large reservoirs that could store whole annual water supplies. So every year, even when the hydrology was short, they benefited and the dam just kept dropping and then dropping and then dropping. And you never got the hydrology to refill it back up. So ours don't really work that way. None of our dams hold our whole water supply annually, at least in the Middle Valley. So, yeah. So I hope that's some positive news. But the, mm -hmm. the water situation is tough. Uh, right now, but I don't think people should look at it and go, well, there's no end in sight. And I think there's a lot of great technology out there looking at desalinization of water. Um, we sit under large reservoirs of brackish water that could be desalinated. And at the end of the day, we will get our infrastructure back. 
And droughts don't go on forever either. Whenever we grew up, when we were growing up, it was one of the wettest periods on record in New Mexico. Through the, the 80s and into the early 90s, we had, a full, we had a full elephant butte. That was what was going on when we were younger. And that's possible again. We, just, it may, it's, we may be the generation that has to weather the drought for the next gener- generation to come. I think and one thing that's just so fascinating about that, I'm glad you talked about the differences there between the Colorado River Compact and the Rio Grande Compact is just a tale of two different types of management, it feels like. And you know, you pointed to the fact that we're in debt in the um, Rio Grande Compact, but that Colorado one is just based on what is available and how there essentially is no debt, as I understand, on that Colorado one, at least for New Mexico. There's a, yeah, there's not a debt piece on from New Mexico, but, but there's an overall use deficit. And, you know, we're, we're talking about a debt to the compact for New Mexico of 96,000 acre feet. But on the Colorado, they're trying to make up an overuse of, I think, 4 million acre feet. And so that's, I, th- I think that's generally the number. So I think there are positive sides for, for New Mexico, but it's just bringing awareness the Rio Grande is the fourth longest river in the United States. Colorado gets a lot of attention, obviously lots of communities, lots of people, but I want to bring, and I think other water management agencies want to bring awareness that the Rio Grande is the fourth largest. We have communities along this too. And quite frankly, we've been dealing with the drought issues longer than the Colorado have. For years when drought and water conservation seem to be at the forefront of the messaging part of all of this, what kind of concerns do you hear from people in agricultural professions in New Mexico and what's been your response? I think the, the biggest one is obviously well, there's a couple. So I'll, I'll, I'll list three big questions. Is there going to be enough water? Everybody always asks that question. Why are only farmers paying the water bill? So, right, that question happens a lot. And then it seems like people care more about fish and endangered species than they do care about farmers. And I had literally had one farmer say, we will be the endangered species in the future if you're, if we're not careful. And so I think those are all fair questions. And I think it goes back to MRGCD's conservation strategy of we have a need to deliver irrigation water to farmers. We have a need to assist the state in meeting Rio Grande Compact. And we have a need to do both of those while balancing the ecosystem that we enjoy. And so think of that as a triangle where all sides are equal. And right now it's kind of out of whack. Getting our infrastructure back will certainly help. But I also think that understanding the history of this river, when somebody says, Jason, what you and MRG City doing is not, like we want the river to be natural. And I, and I turn my head and I go, you know, as an engineer, as a river person who've enjoys the river, works on the river, understands the history of the river. When somebody says we want natural back, my understanding in the history of a natural river is one that needed to be contained so that communities could develop on it. So, and people were running from the river at times, getting away from it because it was damaging communities. And this was a river that didn't have a cottonwood forest like you see today. The cottonwood forest is a product of the infrastructure, quite frankly. And so I think that's a big one of the the big things that people need to understand if we're not careful and we continue to just pull and pull and pull away from the farmers we will inevitably shrink our agricultural community on this river and my question to new mexicans is ag has been a large part of who we have been it's in our acequia communities it's in our northern new mexico communities it's in our tribal communities right it is it is how we survived on the rio grande to build the communities that we have are we walking away from that 
My hope is no. And so how do we balance keeping good farming with the ecosystem that we love and while making compact deliveries? And I think people need to come to the table willing to, to make compromises. And that compromise shouldn't be, let's dry up farmland. The answer of, in the history of this river is not a continuously connected river. So we may have to have conversations. That if the river is going to dry naturally, okay. So where are the important habitat pockets that we make sure survive? Because we can do that and wait for the next big year when the river reconnects for longer periods of time while letting farmers be farmers. But I will say, I think you guys can see I'm passionate about that. When you talk to farmers, if you go out there, farmers live and breathe what they do. They are passionate about it. And farming is a very, very difficult lifestyle. Things break and yet they believe it'll be okay. And they want to grow things that we consume. And so my fight here is to get people to see that I think we can have it, we can have it all. But I think if we don't pay attention to history and we ask for things that we don't understand and we push for changes without knowledge, change because we want to see it without the history of what we moved from and, and where we are now, we could destroy that culture. I want to just hone in on your message here and summarize maybe what is your response to a farmer who says, you know, we could be the endangered species one day. One, I have to be sympathetic yeah. um, because I go into conversations where I do feel like the crosshair is on farmers and it's my job to go in there and advocate for them. You know, that's what I am though. I'm not, I'm not a decision maker all by myself. I have to win over state legislators, um, federal legislators, right? Communities like this. I have to win over new people that are moving to the valley with a, a view of what a river is, but maybe they came from a someplace where the river never dried. So they think in their mind, a river should never dry. And so clearly you guys must be doing something wrong if this river dries. No. I mean, so the reality is, is it's possible. It's my job to fight as hard as I can to, to make that not a reality, to make sure farming stays viable in the valley going forward. I think one of the, one of the good parts is, is the, our tribal communities have a secure water source beyond non-tribal. Our, our tribal communities are in a u unique place to thrive. And I think it's right. And I think that they can be really a, a pillar of ag along the river and kind of help people continue to see the value. And I, and I think that will also help farming up and down the river as well, because I see a lot of people go to farmer's markets. I see it, right? I mean, the people love looking for fresh, whether it's fruits, vegetables, whether it's locally grown hay, oats, wheat, you name it. I know a lot of people that love to go get that local and grown here, that's not an economy or a lifestyle that I think anybody wants to go away on this river. We talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, the idea of getting people to latch on to the idea that a lot of this infrastructure work takes funding and support. So how do agencies get support for big projects that we know can cost millions of dollars, a lot of time and construction? Well, the, the nice part is, is there's funding available right now, both through the federal government and the state. And water and water infrastructure has never really been at its highest than it is right now. I think more people are talking about critical water infrastructure. MRGCD, we have certainly benefited from being a water agency and having our projects funded through the Water Trust Board as, as a mechanism for state funding. We also have been really successful in getting federal funding. And so I do want folks to know that, that we, it, it is a big bill. And certainly there's not enough tax money that MRGCD collects and water service charges that we collect to do this, but we take the money that we do get and we leverage it 
to get every federal dollar and every state dollar that we can. I think right now within the MRGCD, I think we have over $20 million above and beyond what we collect that are grant dollars um, that we're putting to work on, on our infrastructure. And so there are programs out there and I think every agency like the MRGCD is doing just that. I know my colleagues at, at ABCWA and at, and at EBID down South, the Elephant Butte Irrigation District, everybody is seeking those opportunities. And the nice part is the money's plentiful right now and water is life. And so I think it's, it's important that water projects are prioritized and we're, we're enjoying that benefit right now. Anything else we're missing, Jason, that you wanted to share or talk about? Yeah. So today is the election day for the board of directors for the Middle Rio Grande Conservancy District. So if you are part of the benefited area, I encourage you to exercise your right to vote. That's your voice on what's important to you in, in the Middle Valley, in the benefited area of the MRGCD. And I also want to tell you that um, just pray for rain. Right now we need it. And without Elvado, things on this river won't get much better than you're seeing out there right now without it. Well, Jason, thank you so much for uh, joining us here. It is obviously uh, a lot that you have to look over. And even though the um, irrigation season starts to tail off right now, you've, you've still got a whole lot of work ahead here for the off months, if you will, air quotes, off months that aren't really off. So thanks for joining us to talk to us about this. I so very much appreciate it. Water conversations in our state are so important. So thank you for um, pushing these water conversations forward. Thanks again to Jason Kasuga. As he stated, these conversations are important to have and it's interesting to hear about all the work that goes on in the planning process and you know, the construction phases. Thinking so far ahead into the future, he told me in our recent story that you can watch on krqe.com slash investigations, um, some of the planning that he works on is 50 years from now. That is crazy. I, I can't imagine having to be working that far out. I always struggled with the question. I think my first boss asked me this, like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I said, like, well, uh, I'm just trying to get through today. Exactly. And and that feeling is very ever present in news. When you've got the the deadlines coming at four and five thirty, you you just feel like I'm just trying to survive today. So anyway, yes. Big thanks to Jason Kasuga. Got a lot of a lot of work to look far out ahead for and particular the Corrales Siphon and the Elvado Dam. Those are two big projects that mean a lot to people throughout here. And this may be the first time you're hearing about them. So appreciate you joining us here, Jason, for today's episode. And if you have a story idea out there, dear listeners, you can email me at chris.mckee at krqe.com or catch me on social media at TV. And I'm gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com in the email and gburknm on social media. Thank you all for listening.